I'D LIKE TO ENCOURAGE ALL OF YOU WHO CLAIM TO REALLY HAVE A RELATIONSHIP WITH THE LORD TO GET OUT AND VOTE IN THESE UPCOMING ELECTIONS. I'M AMAZED THAT THERE WERE OVER 25 MILLION CHRISTIANS REGISTERED TO VOTE WHO DID NOT VOTE IN THE LAST ELECTION CYCLE. I TELL YOU, THAT'S SIN. THAT'S WRONG. WE HAVE NOT ONLY THE PRIVILEGE, BUT A RESPONSIBILITY TO VOTE. SO I'D JUST LIKE TO ENCOURAGE YOU TO TAKE YOUR CHRISTIAN RESPONSIBILITY TO VOTE SERIOUSLY. GET OUT AND VOTE FOR RIGHTEOUSNESS THIS ELECTION. WELCOME TO A SPECIAL EDITION OF GOSPEL TRUTH WITH ANDREW WOMACK, A TEACHING MINISTRY THAT FOCUSES ON GOD'S UNCONDITIONAL LOVE AND GRACE. On today's broadcast, Andrew will be sharing about the importance of having a biblical worldview. And now, here's Andrew. Welcome to a special edition of the Gospel Truth Broadcast. This week, I'm continuing to share from this new series that I have out entitled Biblical Worldview Sexuality. And I'm not just doing this by myself, but we've got five other ministers that have helped share ON THESE TRUTHS. WE'VE ALREADY HAD ALEX MCFARLAND, PASTOR DUANE SHERIFF, PASTOR GREG MOORE, AND MIKE AND CARRIE PICKETT. AND YESTERDAY, I USED BILL FEDERER uh, TO MINISTER ON THE REAL AGENDA THAT IS BEHIND THE MISUSE OF SEX IN OUR CULTURE TODAY. TODAY, HE'S GOING TO BE TALKING ABOUT THE REAL AGENDA AND SHOWING THAT THIS LGBT, THE HOMOSEXUALITY, ALL OF THE SEXUAL PERVERSION, AND ALL OF THESE THINGS, IT'S ACTUALLY AN ATTACK ON THE GOSPEL. IF THE GOVERNMENT CAN REDEFINE WHAT SEX IS AND HOW IT SHOULD BE PRACTICED, THEN BASICALLY THEY CAN JUST REWRITE THE BIBLE, TAKE AWAY CONVICTION. THIS IS GOING TO BE POWERFUL. AND REMEMBER THAT THIS IS ONLY A PORTION OF WHAT BILL FEDERER HAS TO SAY ABOUT THIS. SO IF YOU WOULD LIKE TO GET THE WHOLE TEACHING AT THE END OF THE PROGRAM, WE'RE GOING TO BE SHARING WITH YOU ABOUT HOW YOU CAN DO THAT. SO STAY TUNED, BUT LISTEN TO BILL FEDERER AS HE MINISTERS ON THE REAL AGENDA. Biblical sexuality is an important topic, and there are parts to the agenda that we need to look into a little bit closer. One of them is the influence on the gospel. So, in a sense, the LGBT agenda is a declaration of war on the gospel. Uh, how is that? Well, if the government can declare that sin is no longer sin, then obviously you do not need a Savior to wash us from our sins as Revelation 1.5 says. And now, not just Christians and Jews, but even Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, and other native religions believe that God made man and woman. And so today we're seeing the government step into the realm of theology and enforcing religious conformity. And so the message from the government is change your religious beliefs or the government will come after you. Similar to Nebuchadnezzar, who demanded that everyone bow to his statue when the trumpets were blown, or they would get thrown in the fiery furnace. Now, gender confusion is a first world problem. Uh, it affects most those who have gone through the public educational system, liberal colleges, universities, or those who consume large amounts of media. 
Third world problems are still trying to get food on the table and clean water. And so we see this in the first world. Now, one aspect of this agenda is feelings. Uh, the gospel teaches us to renew our mind, to take control of our thoughts and feelings. But this new sexual agenda teaches a belief system that your feelings control you. Your feelings define you. Do you feel like a boy? Do you feel like a girl? Do you have same-sex feelings? But since your feelings change like the weather, you live in a continual uncertainty of life. You live at the mercy of these fluid feelings. Interestingly, they teach that whatever you feel is okay, unless, of course, what you feel is like following the Bible. Now, original sin. The Bible explains that God made everything good and that Adam and Eve, after he made them, he said it was very good. But then Adam and Eve sinned. And everyone born from Adam and Eve since then has a sinful nature spliced into their DNA. So from the fall of the garden, the carnal thoughts of man, like gravity, tend toward evil continually. It's called the fallen nature, or the flesh, or original sin. So each person is born with a feeling, an attraction to temptation, a predisposition towards sin such as lying. Nobody has to teach a child how to lie. They just learn, they display that. Um, at cheating, greed, theft, anger, violence, pride, and lust. Adultery, fornication, pedophilia, sodomy, murder, rape, etc. All of these things are part of fallen human nature. And so Genesis 8.21, before the flood, God said, the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. The book of Proverbs says, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is death. And so your feelings can lead you in a wrong direction. So every human being is born with these tendencies. There's even a homosexual candidate for president of the United States, and he commented, I was born this way. Well, the fact of the matter is, everyone was born this way. Everyone was born with a sinful tendency toward the flesh. That is why Jesus said, you must be born again. That you must experience the rebirth of the gospel. And it's like a computer downloading a new operating system. And so Jesus Christ came, died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, so that through him, sinners could be forgiven, redeemed, reunited with God, and your old flesh nature and its fleshly tendencies is replaced with a selfless, self-sacrificing nature. Now, sinful desires can be manipulated. You know, humans train animals by rewarding behavior with pleasure, often a tasty treat. Uh, there's the old picture of a boy sitting on a donkey dangling a carrot by a string on the end of a stick, hanging it in front of the donkey's eyes to get the donkey to keep walking. So this donkey sees that carrot right in front of its eyes, and it says, oh, I just want to get a little closer. And uh, The animal does not see the big picture. It is just motivated by wanting that treat. An example is a dog show. So the dog obeys its master, 
because after every trick, the master discreetly pulls a treat out of his pocket and slips it to the dog. The dog is oblivious to the larger agenda, such as the owner wanting to win a large prize and gain recognition in front of millions of people watching on TV. In the same way, the behavior of men and women can be manipulated by dangling the pleasure of sex outside of the confines of biblical marriage. Genesis explains that man is made in the image of God. Once man sinned, Satan was intent on distorting the image of God. So Satan manipulates man's desire for sex to get them to commit a whole host of immoral acts, like that treat dangling before the, uh, the donkey or given to the dog. Women needing money could be tempted to engage in the oldest profession. The world even acknowledges this powerful draw towards sex and harnesses it for sales. And marketing executives use the adage, sex sells. So you'll see a, a billboard on the highway of uh, a car repair shop but it'll have a pretty girl in there. The girl has nothing to do with car repair, but everyone knows it'll attract the view of the men going down the highway. So the bigger picture, why would Satan want to dangle and move humankind in a direction? Well, one of the tactics that is used is deconstruction. It's a way to move a population on a large scale in a certain direction. It's actually a communist tactic. And so the idea is after the Cold War, the United States is so strong and the Soviets and communists would be, come up with concepts on how to defeat America from the inside uh, because they couldn't defeat from the outside. So this tactic called deconstruction, it's a drive neutral reverse process where people are separated from their past historically and morally uh, by portraying the past negatively, portraying the founders as you know, religious tyrants and, and intolerant and, and so forth. And then the students become open-minded. Well, if they're emotionally detached from the past, they're now open-minded. But then the next step is they can be indoctrinated with a new ideology, a new identity. It's sort of gene replacement therapy for a nation. Uh, and it actually mirrors a sales technique. So if I were a toothpaste salesman, the first thing I would do is say negative things about the toothpaste you're currently using. You're still using that old stuff. Don't you know it'll eat the enamel off your teeth? Ooh, you're repulsed by it. Now I have you in a neutral position. You're open-minded. What are all the toothpastes out there nowadays? Then I give you my pitch for this brand new tartar control breath freshening toothpaste. This technique is applied in schools. So they first go into the school and teach the kids negative things about the founding fathers. Uh, they took land from uh, Indians and they were slave owners and uh, they were evil and chauvinists and they used textbooks like Howard Zinn's People's History of the United States. And yikes, the students are repulsed by America's founders. They're all terrible. And so the students move into a neutral position. They're no longer emotionally attached to the founders. They're open-minded. Then you give the students the pitch for your new identity, whether it be socialism or LGBT or Islam. 
And the students are peer pressured and indoctrinated with novel concepts of white privilege, intersectionality, and common core curriculum. So they move drive neutral reverse. They move, they detach from the country's founders, they get into an open-minded stage, and then they're indoctrinated with a new identity. So just as a car goes from drive into neutral before it goes into reverse, this process has taken place in Western civilization. Let's look at Europe. Europe's gone from a Judeo-Christian Europe into a secular Europe, and now it's entering an socialist Islamic Europe. Let's go through this slowly. So Europe for millennium was Judeo-Christian. It was Catholic, it had the Jewish neighborhoods, had a Protestant Reformation, but it was predominantly Judeo-Christian. And then Europe went into a secular phase, a neutral phase with the French Revolution. Robespierre was the head of France's Committee on Public Safety, their equivalent of Homeland Security. He puts a prostitute in Notre Dame Cathedral, covers her with a sheet, and says, this is a goddess of reason, let's worship her. The whole nation casts off their sexual restraints in this secular pursuit. And then Robespierre in 1793 begins the reign of terror. 40,000 people are beheaded in Paris for not abandoning their faith and embracing secularism. Paris then sent its military to the Vendee, a rural area that's very Catholic, and the soldiers kill over 300,000 men, women, and children, forcing them to comply with the secular state. And then Napoleon spreads all this French secularism around Europe. And so Europe effectively cuts ties with its Judeo-Christian past. So it went from Judeo-Christian past, secular French Revolution, uh, neutral, and the neutral phase tolerates anything. Atheism, free sex, LGBT agenda. Years ago, we were visiting someone in Berlin and we were walking around a very beautiful lake. People were swimming in the lake and coming out and they were naked. And uh, the person I was with says, don't look, just keep walking. And it was this anything goes mentality. But then Europe is being changed through the bringing in of Islam. And so you see that with all these immigrants, Europe is entering an Islamic future, with Muhammad being the number one name for newborns in London, Brussels, Paris, Milan. Europeans are having fewer and fewer children. The Muslims can have four wives, they can draw welfare, and they can have many, many children. And so uh, there are now five million Muslim immigrants surrounding the city of Paris, over 700 neighborhoods. Women are raped on the streets of Germany and Sweden and Denmark. Uh, trucks being driven into crowds, historic cathedrals being vandalized. And so you see a trend, drive, neutral, reverse. Judeo-Christian Europe, secular French Revolution, gay Europe, and now it's turning into an Islamic Europe. And so we've gone from Bibles in the schools to condoms in the schools, now it's hijabs in the schools. Now, an African archbishop named Robert Sarah of Guinea told the Synod of Bishops in Rome, October 12th of 2015, like two apocalyptic beasts, on the one hand, atheistic secularism, on the other, Islamic fundamentalism. We find ourselves between gender ideology and ISIS. Two major threats, disintegration in the secularized West through quick and easy divorce, abortion, homosexual unions, euthanasia, etc., the LGBT lobby, and on the other hand, Islam, which legitimizes polygamy, female subservience, sexual slavery, child marriage, etc., Al-Qaeda, ISIS, Boko Haram. Another 
Bishop, Italian Archbishop Carlo Labarti, stated January 14, 2017, We have a weak Christian faith. Seminaries are empty. Italy and Europe live in a pagan, atheistic way. They make laws that go against God. They have traditions that are proper to paganism. All this paves the way to Islam. Europe will soon be Muslim. So this drive-neutral reverse process. Judeo-Christian past, secular, free sex, LGBT, neutral, and then an Islamic, socialist, communist future. Europe is almost past the point of no return, and America is advancing in that same direction. One interesting anthropologist, his name is J.D. Unwin, U-N-W-I-N, and he wrote a book in 1934. The title of his book is Sex and Culture. Now, why do we look at this? Well, history is not prophetic, but it is predictive. Past behavior is the best indicator of future performance. So he looked at the past behavior where he examined 80 different cultures throughout 5,000 years of recorded human history. And he looked at the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Anglo-Saxons, dozens of others in all kinds of different geographic settings, environmental settings, and different racial makeups. And he found something that 100% of the time, there is a correlation between heterosexual marriage fidelity and cultural development, and absolutely no exceptions to this rule. So he observed that cultures go through four stages. Pain, productive, prosperous, promiscuous. So first, they go through pain, maybe like after World War II and uh, Europe is poor, and then they become productive and they're making money and building factories, and then they become prosperous, and then they become promiscuous. And so this trend happened in America. We had the pain of the Great Depression, and then we become productive with our factories and making cars and so forth. Then we become prosperous, and then we have the 1960s with promiscuous. And so we see this, this trend happening, and J.D. Unwin observed cultures going through these stages, but other psychologists studied this. One was Sigmund Freud. And so they found that promiscuity and the loosening of sexual restrictions always leads to cultural and civilizational decline. So in the same way that a woman has a natural impulse to protect an innocent baby and provide for it, so the males have a strong sex drive uh, that can be harnessed because uh, they want it fulfilled, and it's harnessed in them pursuing a woman in marriage. And then he has a motivation to provide for this woman. And uh, there's the old little nursery rhyme, first comes love, then comes marriage, and then comes uh, Susie with the baby carriage, right? But it's this idea that the man, his initial thought is he just wants this sexual gratification, but he's only allowed to get it because the woman won't give herself outside of these confines of a commitment of marriage. And so he's motivated to make the commitment uh, because he has this extra drive. Once the commitment's made, then there's a family, and then he's motivated to want to protect and provide for the family. And so J.D. Unwin examines this phenomenon. And so the man ends up becoming creative and hardworking to provide for it. Uh, the word husband comes from the word house bond, 
which means he's bound to the house. He's bound to the home. He's bound to the family. He has a band. He's a band that surrounds it. He's bound to his wife. So uh, the man has a daily impulse and incentive to use his mental and physical strength to the maximum so that he can go home at night and have gratification with his wife. We know this is uh, on a sort of basic level, but this was the observation of J.D. Unwin. So he noticed the three major world religions were structured around marriage monogamy and restraint on sexual activity. So in other words, the three major religions channeled this male drive that to the confines, again, hanging that carrot in front of the donkey saying, if you want this fulfillment, you have to uh, pursue this direction. Well, these three major world religions says, okay, you have to move in the direction of following these rules. And the, the energy was directed to provide for the wife and family, and collectively that made the, the countries more prosperous. And so the restraints on activity, sexual activity. You know Catherine Lee Bates, who wrote the hymn, America the Beautiful? There's a line in that beautiful song that says, Confirm thy soul in self-control. So again, America, we have this foundation of self-control. Unwin noticed that once a nation goes down this path of pain, of productive, of prosperous, of promiscuity, once they start going in the promiscuity path, they never recover. That it's always fatal toward the death of that culture. Now, it can be delayed. And that's our prayer, is that we can delay this. John Adams wrote to Thomas Jefferson in 1819. He said, Have you ever found in history one single example of a nation thoroughly corrupted that was afterwards restored to virtue? And without virtue, there could be no political liberty? Will you tell me how to prevent luxury from producing effeminacy, intoxication, extravagance, vice, and folly? He ends, no effort in favor of virtue is lost. So J.D. Unwin documented that in every single instance, sexual promiscuity internally weakens a country, which is then conquered by more masculine, aggressive countries. Without exception, once restrictions on sexuality are lifted, especially the female sexuality, a society destroys itself from within and then is weakened and conquered from without. Adelis Huxley, author of Brave New World, 1932, wrote, Unwin's conclusions are based upon an enormous wealth of carefully sifted evidence. The cultural condition of a society rises in exact proportion as it imposes pre-nuptial and post-nuptial restraints upon sexual opportunity. I tell you, Bill Federer is just a, a gem. He is a gift from the Lord. The knowledge that he has and the way he connects current things with the way that it has affected civilizations in the past and stuff is priceless. You know, if you don't know what the history is, then you're doomed to repeat it. And Bill Federer is just a jewel. This is only a portion of his teaching. And if you would like to get the whole teaching, not only of Bill Federer, but my teaching, uh, Dwayne Sheriff, Greg Moore, Alex McFarland, Carrie Pickett, all of us went together to produce this teaching on biblical worldview on sexuality. 
And I tell you, this is something that would not only set you free, but it would equip you to be able to take a stand and to speak out on these issues today. We've got to speak up. So listen to our announcer. He's going to share with you about how you not only get this one on sexuality, but I've got the original series where I did 12 hours worth of teaching on foundational truths. We're making a package deal or you can get this by itself. Listen to our announcer and please contact us today and receive these materials. Today, Andrew's pleased to offer the next topic in the Biblical Worldview series titled Biblical Worldview Sexuality. In this series, Andrew's joined by Alex McFarland, Bill Federer, Dwayne Sheriff, Greg Moore, and Mike and Carrie Pickett as they outline the importance for every Christian believer to have a biblical worldview with regard to sexuality. Each of the 12 lessons includes a video, audio file, chapter lesson, and printable PDF wrapped in a single box set containing a workbook, audio USB, and personal access code to the online videos. Through the online platform, you'll have access to all of the videos and digital workbooks on your computer or smart device. You can get Biblical Worldview Sexuality today for only $120. Or you can receive Biblical Worldview Sexuality as part of the Biblical Worldview Package which includes both installments from Andrew's Biblical Worldview series, Foundational Truths and Sexuality. This package has a catalog value of $240, but you can get them both today for only $197. Go to awmi.net to order these valuable resources today. We want to say a special thank you to the Grace Partners of Andrew Womack Ministries. Your gifts make it possible to put free ministry materials into the hands of many people in need. If you're not already a Grace Partner, we ask you to pray about becoming one today. You can become a Grace Partner or order resources through our website at awmi.net. While there, you can discover more product details and download additional free resources. Or you can call our helpline 24 hours a day, five days a week, Monday through Friday at 719-635-1111. To write us, use the address on your screen. We appreciate your generosity and hope to hear from you today. I want to let you know that we have now started a Karis Daily Live Bible Study. We've been doing a Bible study every Tuesday night live for about two years, but now we have five days a week. We've varied the times so that we can accommodate anybody's schedule and it's going to really be good. We're going to use our instructors from the school and it'll be a blessing. So remember, we now have a Karis daily live Bible study five days a week. Welcome to the AWM Minute, a small glimpse on how the friends and partners of Andrew Womack Ministries are helping people around the world receive their healing. People like Jeremiah Class. For years, Jeremiah struggled with an incurable case of multiple sclerosis. There seemed to be no hope for recovery. That is, until the day he stumbled across our website and heard for the first time that God's healing was available for him. They had put me on disability because of the MS, so I had all the time in the world. So I started listening to God Wants You Well, all these different teachings that he had on his website, and just listening to him day after a day. Inspired by Andrew's free teachings, Jeremiah enrolled into Karis Bible College. It was here that God showed him that the key to his healing 
was through not a formula, but through learning to rest in the finished work of Jesus. To see Jeremiah's full story, visit awmi.net today. Hello, this is Andrew Womack, and I want to invite you to come and sit under the Word of God. Four hours a day, five days a week for two or three years. I promise you, it would transform your life. You know, God has put it on my heart to make disciples, and the best way I have of doing that is through our Karis Bible College. We not only have our main campus in Woodland Park, Colorado, but we have campuses scattered all over the world. You can go to our website to get information on it, but I promise you, this is a deal changer. Many of you know there's more and you just don't know how to get there. Come and let us help you discover who you are in Christ and who He is in you. It'll change your life.